Welcome to this episode of the We Travel There podcast. We're in Querétaro, Mexico, with my new friend Ray Blakeney of LiveLingua.com. Ray first came here with the Peace Corps, then returned with his wife to start his first business. In this episode, Ray and I talk about the Peña de Bernal uh, monolith, ancient pyramids that are over 2,000 years old, and Hacienda tours. You hear about these three amazing attractions, plus so much more. The show notes will be available at wetravelthere.com forward slash Querétaro. Now let's get started. The We Travel There podcast helps you travel like a local by interviewing guests from around the world to uncover the hidden gems of their city by finding out the best things to do, eat, drink, and see from a local's point of view. Whether I'm traveling for business or pleasure, it's important to have clothes that make me look good and feel great. I wear Bluffworks jeans, slacks, dress shirts, and blazers because they're wrinkle-free and are designed for the modern traveler. And if they get dirty, I quick spin in the washing machine and they're good as new. Go to wetravelthere.com forward slash bluffworks for a special offer and to select from the latest styles so you can stay wrinkle-free when you travel. Hey, Ray, welcome to the show. Lee, it's a pleasure to be here. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. So today we're talking about a city that I'm going to totally butcher the name, but it's Querétaro, uh, Mexico. Pretty close, Querétaro, Mexico. And honestly, I butchered it until I moved here as well. So don't beat yourself up about it. Nice. I know I've never heard of the city. I'm sure many of the other listeners don't know about it much either. So can you tell us a little bit about like where the city is in relation to Mexico and what brought you there? Yeah. So like you're saying, I had never heard of the city either before coming to Mexico. My idea of Mexico was beaches. You know, I'd come here when I was in college. But I joined the Peace Corps, and that's what kind of brought me to Mexico in the long term. And their offices were in the city of Querétaro. It's located about three hours north of Mexico City. If you actually fly into the Mexico City airport, you don't even have to leave the airport. There are direct buses from there to Querétaro. It takes about two and a half to three hours to get here on a luxury bus. It's a city of about 1.5 million people, even though it's one of the fastest growing cities in Mexico, because it is also one of the wealthiest and one of the safest cities in Mexico. So a lot of people are trying to move here. It sounds new, but it also has a 450-year-old center. I like to kind of relate it to Philadelphia in the United States. You know, it's not the number one place people look to go to when they go to the U.S. from another country, right? It's not New York. It's not L.A. But if you dig deep, Querétaro has history. This is where they signed the Constitution. It was the capital of Mexico for a while. There's all this history in the city. So it's really a great place to live. Wow, that's uh, so fascinating that the city was so much history and really just like kind of like the base of Mexico that we've never really heard about it. Absolutely. I mean, it's, I like to say this is real Mexico, right? A lot of people, when they come to Mexico, I've said it, they go to the beaches and that's kind of what they think Mexico is. But actually, most Mexicans live in this area, which is called the Bajio. It's kind of the central area, the breadbasket. It's on a plateau up in the mountains. So Querétaro is about as high up as Denver is. So it's you, there's a little bit of altitude to get used to when you come up here. But as a result, we have about 85 degree temperature all year round, sunny and no humidity. So it's a wonderful temperature to live in. After moving to Nashville, finding out about places that have no humidity, I'm all about that. <laughs> <laughs> My wife couldn't put up with it. Her hair goes all frizzy when we're on the beach after about a week. So uh, this is great for her. Nice. So if you had to describe the the people or the city in just a couple words, how would you do that? Colonial modern is what I would come up with. So as I mentioned, like the downtown was found about 450 years ago. It's got what, an old aqueduct that's about two kilometers long going through downtown. Imagine those old Hispanic buildings, all beautifully maintained. The city's got all of that. But it's also the hub in Latin America for the aerospace industry. That means they have 
companies down here. We have all the modern things that we're used to in the United States. You know, there's a Costco, there's a Best Buy, there's, I use Uber Eats to get food, you know, everything that you're used to there. But you also get a chance to live in quote unquote real Mexico, right? People here speak Spanish. They don't, the menus are not in English and you get to try some real authentic food that people going to tourist areas would not be able to try. Of course, the prices are cheaper because this is where Mexicans live. Wow. Wow. I mean, for somebody like myself that loves all the airlines and traveling and stuff like that, I'm I'm so surprised that I never heard about the city, especially like you said, that it's the hub for the transportation there. It is. Bombardier has got its plant here. And there's actually an international airport as a result of all these factories around here. You can get direct flights from Houston, Miami, Dallas, and the United States straight to Querétaro. Oh, fantastic. So what airlines would fly directly from the United States? Is it Aeromexico or, or like some of the, the larger American airlines as well? It's Aeromexico or United. I think they kind of have some kind of joint partnership, right? So depending on the plane you get on, it'll just have a different sticker on there. But you might even have the same, you know, hosts or hostesses and the same pilots, depending on, you know, which plane you took. Also, Continental has some regular flights as well. So United and Continental have direct flights to Querétaro from the United States. Because I know United bought Continental years and years ago. So I guess they must have just not swapped out the stickers on the on the outside of the plane. I think that might be it. Is it just yeah, <laughs> I, I didn't I did not know that. I thought they were still two different airlines. But yeah, as far as they're concerned here, they have two places to check in. Uh, wow, so interesting. So say we're flying in and say we catch one of those direct flights, or like you said, we can fly into Mexico City and maybe spend some time there and then take one of those luxury buses from Mexico City to Querétaro. Once we kind of get to the airport or get in the city through one of those luxury buses. How do we get into the major part of the city? Say we're going to fly directly into the airport. Do we rent a car? Do we take public transportation, rideshare? What's the best way to get around? Yes, would be my answer to all of them. You can do all, all of those are options. The airport is located a little outside of the city. Another thing that Querétaro has that's really nice, it's actually Mexican wine country. So the airport is actually located out in wine country. It's about 20 minutes from downtown, 25 minutes, depending on the traffic. When you're there, you have all the options you're used to in most modern cities. You can call an Uber. Cabify is a local Mexican company as well. I believe it started in Spain. So you can use Cabify or you can take – they have shuttle buses to downtown that leave on the hour and they kind of time them around when the planes leave. Or you can just take a taxi from the airport or you can rent a car. There's Hertz and there's all the big car rental companies are also located at the airport. Sure. And I know you know a lot of people are, are hesitant to rent a car when they're traveling in a foreign country and – is there anything that we should that we should know about that's different about renting a car there versus in, in the United States? If you're renting it from one of the bigger companies like Hertz and Avis and all the rest of it, generally most things are the same. They might ask for a slightly bigger deposit, like a security deposit, which if all goes well, you'll get back afterwards. I have heard horror stories about car rental, but not in Querétaro. Again, it's not a tourist hub. So a lot of the horror stories you hear about people renting cars in the Yucatan Peninsula, they don't happen here. There are just not enough tourists that, you know, it's a lucrative thing for them to do to try to rip people off. Most of the people renting cars are other Mexicans flying in for business or to visit the city. Because this is one of the most popular non-beach tourist destinations for Mexicans in the country. Well, fantastic. So say uh, if we do rent a car and we're going into the city, what's the parking situation like? Is it easy to park? Is there is it expensive? It's not expensive if you can find a spot. In general, if you're coming to Querétaro, I would not recommend you rent a car. Uber costs 2 to $3 to get anywhere in the city. I mean, you know, you essentially have a private driver to take you anywhere. Why would you have to worry about it? You don't have to worry about parking. So the main place, if you're coming to Querétaro, I recommend stay in the historic center, the Centro Historico. So you stay there, you take an Uber ride, and that'll cost you about $15 from the airport. The airport is about 30 miles out of town, right? So it's a good ways out there. You get downtown, you can walk everywhere downtown. Downtown's about... 
four or five square miles in total, which is the historic center. And you can walk everywhere. It's really, really pedestrian friendly. On the weekends, they actually close off a few blocks downtown. So no cars at all come in and don't even have to worry about cars on the main streets because they want you to walk around. They put up these food stalls and everything that you can do. This is almost every Saturday. Artists come out. So you'll see people just painting. Some people sell their art. Some people are just there out there painting. And that's a great place to base most of your exploration in Querétaro from. That sounds like a fun experience. Hanging out there on a Saturday night, just kind of exploring and sampling a little bit of food here and there and and enjoying the art. My wife and I lived downtown for 11 years. We just moved out to the suburbs because we had a child. The one bad thing about downtown, like any downtown, right? When you're a young couple, you always want to live downtown. But when you have kids, you start moving out to the suburbs. You want them to have a bigger garden. Since it's a historic downtown, you don't have gardens in those houses, right? They're these old Hispanic houses built 300 years ago. And you have a little central courtyard patio. And you might have a few plants, but you don't have a lawn or you don't have all that kind of a big tree in there unless you're really, really wealthy. So that's one of the reasons we moved out. But we loved it there. We didn't even own a car for 10 years until we had a child. We did not even buy a car. An interesting historical anecdote about Querétaro is the city was actually founded around art and music, which sounds nice. But it was because the church wanted to evangelize this whole region. So they kind of built a city here and they used art and music as their form of evangelizing all the, the indigenous people that were here. But that kind of stuck with the city. So there's a lot of art and there's a lot of music all around the city. There's sculpture gardens. Just walking around. You won't even have to pay to get into it. Well, that's so interesting. Okay, so like you mentioned that we should, uh, if we're looking for a hotel, we should stay in that, the historic center. Are there some of the major brands uh, from the United States there? Or is it more like mom and pop or localized uh, hotels that are in that area? The city, there are all the major brands in the United States, but they're not actually allowed in the historic center because due to UNESCO laws, it's actually a UNESCO World Heritage Site, the downtown. You know, they can't put signs outside, you know, a Holiday Inn sign outside of a building with like a neon lights. That's not allowed downtown. So a lot of the major brands are just around the outside. There's a Holiday Inn and all those kind of things just outside of downtown with an e easy taxi distance or e even a few in walking distance. But I'd recommend staying in the hotels that are downtown. They tend to be more boutique, but their price ranges go from, you know, youth hostels all the way up to, you know, high-end boutique hotels with only five or six rooms. The biggest one I can think of is something called the Casa de la Marquesa, which is um, House of the Marquis. And you can stay in there. And it was the wealthiest house in the city three, four hundred years ago. He's the one who actually built the aqueduct. So he had he could have running water in his house. That's why the city has an aqueduct coming to it. He built it so he can have running water in there and you can stay in there. I would say it's pretty. I'd say it's somebody with a lot of money and very little taste for the house. But it's actually <laughs> a unique experience. I mean, I would recommend you stay there for the experience. I doubt you'll be looking at it and saying, yeah, I want to decorate my house this way. No, it's it's got a little too much on the gaudy side of things. But he had money. Yeah, I mean, I mean, you got to have serious money. You're like, you know what? I want to build my house here. I'm going to dig this huge trench for miles to bring water directly to my house. Exactly. And it, it didn't even bat an eye. I mean, it, you know, his house <laughs> is more expensive than the aqueduct was. But it's a cool place to stay. And it's right downtown. You literally walk out, you know, in front of one of the best plazas in the city where you'll see music and shows every weekend. That sounds like a perfect spot. So for people that are maybe on a little bit of a budget, I have a, you know, a wife and two kids. I'm not going to stay at a hostel. I'm not going to stay at the Marquesa for a month, but I'm looking for maybe something that's a little bit more economical, but also still pretty nice. Where would I go for that? There are a number of boutique hotels. New ones are coming up almost every single day that can match almost any budget. So you can do the hotels. And of course, like everything else, there's Airbnb options. There are plenty of places that are rented out on Airbnb, either for rooms or houses that you can stay that range the entire price range as well. 
like you said, that, that we have the, the the major brands that a lot of us are familiar with. Obviously, those are an option. But I think if you really want the real experience, you want to be able to stay in that historic center. Absolutely. Because, I mean, you know, staying at the Holiday Inn would look exactly like staying at the Holiday Inn in the United States. I mean, you would have absolutely <laughs> no difference except the, the room service would be in Spanish, which, depending on where in the U.S. you are, might not actually be that different either. <laughs> okay, so now that we're there, we have a place to stay and everything else. What are some of the major things that we should look to do while we're there visiting? Great question. So there's actually quite a bit to do here, but it takes a little bit of digging to actually find them. So the first thing I'd recommend is walk around downtown. If you don't, if you know, walking is not your forte or you don't want to do it, they also have these kind of trolley cars. If you've ever been to the London or other parts in, in Europe, they have the kind of get on, get off trolley cars. And they have those here in Get At That as well, right? You pay a ticket and it'll start driving you around downtown. You'll have like this audio tour guide. You can get off at the sites that you want to get back on. That's a quick way to do a one day tour of the city. Some of the sites to see, as I mentioned, you can go to the Casa de la Marquesa Hotel and just kind of go into the lobby and take a look. You don't have to be a guest. That's worth taking a look. You can go and see La Iglesia de la Cruz, which is where the city was founded. It was the first church. They usually just called it La Cruz, which means the cross. It's up on the highest hill in the downtown. You go up there. There's a big plaza there. You can get a tour of the seminary behind it. That's 400 years old, and they actually have it in English and multiple other languages because it's still a working seminary. So the church still sends people from around the world to study there. And depending on where the seminarians are from at that time— that might have a tour guide in the language that you need. So you can kind of get a free tour around the city there. So you should go and check that out. There's the House of the Inquisition. That's cool. It's fallen down a little bit, but that's where the Inquisition was. And all the doors are carved with these conquistadors. Essentially, it's where they took people to torture them. And then you just walk around all the beautiful plazas. The city has churches every block, and almost every church has a plaza in front of it. And there's always something going on. So that's the downtown area. If you're willing to go a little outside of downtown, which I highly recommend, there are three things that I'd recommend. First off, there is actually this old Otomi pyramid here. So if you're thinking like Teotihuacan kind of pyramids, not that big, but they actually have ruins like that here in Querétaro as well. It was Teotihuacan actually conquered them and killed off all the people, but the pyramids remain. It's got an interesting history to it because the pyramid actually has an old Spanish hacienda on the top of it. Because what happened was when they first colonized this area, one of the rich people saw a hill because there was flooding and they said, hey, I want to build my house on top of that hill. So they built their old hacienda on top of that hill and they lived there for 100 years. And then about 70 years ago, an archaeologist came and said, hey, that's not a hill. That's a pyramid. So they excavated the pyramid. But by then, the building on top of it was also a heritage site because it was so old. So now they kept both of them. So there's an hacienda sitting on top of an old Otome pyramid that's just outside of town, entirely free for you to see. You can take a, a tour of the wine country. So you can go on a wine and cheese tour here. I like to tell people the cheese is good. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so by, the wine is – now I'm the wine connoisseur. But the fact that they put fruit in it before even asking me when they serve it, that will give you a little bit of clue of the kind of quality <laughs> of wine. They serve you sangria. That's pretty much it. Okay, there we go. So it's more of like a red wine uh, versus a white? That's right. It's generally red wine. They have some whites, but I don't even remember trying those. If you come here in the Vendemia, which I believe is an Italian word, it's when they actually harvest the grapes. They do actually have some music festival out there, and I believe that's in July. That's worth going to because they actually bring in some really great artists from around Latin America, really famous people. And if you're willing to splurge, which by U.S. standards is like $50 a ticket, you get like a private table, and they give each person a bottle of wine each. 
So, you know, you're sitting there just downing a whole bottle of wine, mediocre wine, but you're getting like this front seat at a concert and you're getting some great food at the same time. So it's a lot of fun. My wife and I have gone a few times. Right on. And, you know, if you drink enough bottles of wine, even mediocre wine starts to taste pretty good. My wife will attest to that. She's not much of a drinker. So half a bottle of wine. When we go out there, we actually hire a driver to take us and bring us back because it's about, you know, 20 minutes outside of town. And we're not going to be in any condition to drive. And what you do do is you leave right before the last song. Because I've never done anything different, but I do not want to be leaving with 500 people who've also all drank bottles of wine at the same time from a parking lot, right? <laughs> so I, I make sure we leave before the encore, and we just I'm like, let's try to get five minutes out in front of everybody else, just for our own personal safety. So that's a little pro tip there if you ever go to the wine festival. Well, then if you mentioned uh, about the Uber being relatively inexpensive, even though it's outside the city 20 minutes or whatever, I'm sure the Uber ride is, is still really cheap. It would be. What I'd recommend if you want to do an Uber, you just talk to the Uber driver and say, hey, could you stay here? It's going to be two hours and take us back. And usually you can come to some kind of agreement. That's more of a cash, right? It's not kind of an, an Uber. Just say, hey, I'll pay you 50 bucks. Just sit here for an hour and then take me home. He doesn't have to pay the Uber fee. He's getting paid without even having to use his gas. It wouldn't take you very long to find somebody. You know, you call one Uber driver. He says no. You call another one. He'll say yes. So it's, it's a much easier option for you. And the final thing to see in our city is something called the Peña de Bernal. It's the third largest monolith in the world. And you can actually go and climb it. And there's a something called the Pueblo Magico. It's one of the suburbs, like a magical Mexican pueblo, at the bottom of that rock. And if you come during the summer solstice or the winter solstice, a lot of the indigenous people believe that there's some kind of power to this rock. So there are all these ceremonies that are going on that you can kind of sit and watch. It's really cool. Wow, that's so interesting. One of the things I was doing, I was doing a little bit of research about Queretaro getting closer getting closer uh, <laughs> we're almost there it. and uh, i found something like a hot springs that's nearby can you tell us a little bit about that yeah the hot springs are about a 30 minute drive so again you'd have to take an uber to get out there so i recommend if you don't want a lot of people just go during the week so saturday and sunday they're packed i mean literally you know it's probably not even a very pleasant experience because you got 100 people kind of crammed in a pool together but if you go monday through friday nobody is there because the locals have to work so then it's a beautiful time to go to these hot springs the water is not really super hot. I mean, it's definitely warm, but it's not – if you've been to other hot springs around the world where you know they have the scalding hot water. I grew up in Turkey, and there's a place called Pamukkale where they had hot springs that you know you got close enough to the spring. You know, you'd burn your skin off. That's not how these hot springs are. These are just like a really nice pool, and you can go there and hang out. They'll bring you food. They'll bring you tacos. They'll bring you hamburgers, and you can kind of enjoy the day there with your family and relax, and it's really affordable. So it's more like a lukewarm spring than a hot spring. I take, I take hotter showers, let's say at home, than I think the hot springs are. So. <laughs> We're getting close to, to time, but I want to make sure we don't miss out on some of the great food that's in the area. Obviously, we talked a little bit about the wine, but what should we do as far as pairing food with uh, while we're there? Okay, so one of the things I actually like about downtown, it's not like the United States where we have, okay, this is the wealthy area, this is the poor area, and kind of people live in these different areas. Downtown's not like that. You can kind of walk by the doors and one house will be falling down and the next house will look like it's you know multi-million dollar house, right? The food is exactly the same thing. I prefer to go and get some street food. So if you kind of go out at night, generally one thing to keep in mind is Mexicans eat dinner a little later. So if you want a seven o'clock dinner, you'll have to go to the restaurants. If you can wait till like eight or nine, that's when the food carts start coming out. And that's where you can get that guy in the corner who's making, you know, steak tacos or tacos al pastor, just walking up, up and down the streets. You won't get a whole meal in any one place. 
It's more like tapas, right? You got to pick, oh, I want tacos from here. I'm going to get my dessert from the streetcar over there. And I'm going to get my drink over at the streetcar over there. And the whole thing will cost you like four or five dollars each. So that's what I recommend if you went on the budget end, right? Just walk around the street, wait till eight o'clock, walk around on the streets. If you're looking for high end, there are some amazing restaurants downtown. There's a hole in the wall my wife and I love called Chiniquil. You can find it on Google if you just Google it when you get to the town. It's run by this guy from Mexico City, you know, covered in tattoos. He kind of looks like a bouncer, but he's one of the best cooks we've ever tried. And my wife and I have been lucky enough to eat at Michelin star restaurants around the world. I'd say his food is pretty close to that level without the price tag. So you kind of go inside and it doesn't even look fancy. He's got four tables, wooden tables, but then he kind of brings out his menu and he creates this kind of amazing fusion food between, you know, he'll give you tamales, a deconstructed tamal, right? So he kind of deconstructs the corn and makes salsa out of that. One of my favorite is he does a steak with his hibiscus sauce, you know, this kind of hibiscus flour sauce on top of it. Delicious with some sweet potatoes on the side. Absolutely delicious. So I strongly recommend going there, but you have to make a reservation. It's expensive by Mexican standards, but again, a in the U.S., it's like the price you pay at Applebee's. I mean, it's like, you know, it'll cost you $30 per meal if you don't get a drink. So I don't think most people would even bat an eye, but it's considered high-end food in downtown Querétaro. One thing to avoid is do not eat at any of the restaurants on the main plazas. Those are the closest things you're going to find touristy. And it's the only places that people eat where they always get sick. So, you know, if you go to the main plazas, do not eat at the restaurants there. Even though they will be packed, do not eat at those restaurants. Kind of go down the side streets and look for those and you can't go wrong. If you like Oaxacan food, there's a restaurant called Maria Isubisi. So Maria and her bicycle. That's on one of the main streets. Go and check that place out. It's a lot of fun. Run by Maria. I mean, she's there and she'll be dancing all night long. Um, she's an older lady. So it's definitely a worthwhile experience. Oh, that sounds amazing. Uh, I know my wife would just be dragging me all over the all these places to check <laughs> them all out. She would absolutely love that. Where would we go for like breakfast before we head out for the day? Hmm, That's a good question. Now, keep in mind, most Mexicans don't eat breakfast downtown, right? They eat it at home, but there are these little food places. My favorite one is near Iglesia de la Cruz. The Remember the big church I said where they founded the city? You go on that plaza, and if you're facing the church and you look to the left, I can't remember the name of the place, just look to the left. It'll be the only breakfast place open. You go inside, and they have really cheap but really good breakfast food. So you want like, you know, eggs with chorizo, with some beans on the side, some tortillas, and some fresh fruit. It'll cost you like $3 in there. So you kind of go into that place and they'll give you like some, you know, some sweet bread. A little thing to keep in mind, sweet bread usually comes in a basket and it makes you feel like it's free. But as soon as you eat it, that all gets added to the bill. It's going <laughs> to it's going to cost you like 50 cents per piece of bread. So it's not very expensive. But don't be surprised if you down the whole basket of sweet bread that your bill's a little higher than you expected it to be. OK, yeah, it's not the Olive Garden treatment where they just keep bringing you. Yeah, exactly. Bread. It's not all you can eat breadsticks. That's not <laughs> it. Say we go out for a nice meal and then afterwards we're looking for something that, that's going to satisfy our sweet tooth. Where would we go for that? So high end desserts in Mexico, desserts is not really a kind of a, a huge part of their meals. Right. So there aren't these high end desserts in Mexico. But what I would do and what my wife and I do is there's this place called the Chureria which is also on a street called Cinco de Mayo. Go in there, amazing churros. I like the chocolate-filled ones. Again, they cost you like 50 cents each. I went to Austin recently and they sort of, so I had to pay $5 for three churros. I was like, what is this? And so you go into this place, there'll be a line, so you'll have to wait a few minutes. You can check that out. If you like sweets in the traditional sense, again, going back to the plaza with the Iglesia de la Cruz, a friend's family, they run a, like a, a traditional sweet shop. That's there. Just look to the left. It's the only one. They have this like, you know, those inflatable balloons that are like pink and white out front and just walk inside and they'll have a whole bunch of local sweets. Not personally my taste. They're very, very sweet, but you can definitely try them out. 
Okay. Uh, last one. Say we're traveling and we leave the kids behind. Uh, grandma's watching them for us. And it's just like a, a special trip for me and my wife. Where would we go like after dinner? We want to go do dancing or hit the bars and be able to hang out and enjoy ourselves. Where would we go for that? Okay. So for the bars and kind of the more higher end stuff, there's two plazas you want to go to. One is called Plaza de Armas. And there's multiple bars generally tied to hotels, but kind of high end on that one. And the other one's called Plaza Constitución also has a number of bars that are there. And usually there's live music in that one. The live music's in the plaza. So all the restaurants actually just get free access to whoever the band's playing. So you can go in there, you know, have a martini, have a local drink and just relax for the evening. All right. Sounds perfect. So Ray, I really appreciate you sharing all these tips. I've learned so much and it sounds like such an amazing place. And I actually feel bad that I I never heard about it before, you know? And so, <laughs> so definitely it's going to be added to the list of places to visit. Hopefully by then I'll be able to actually pronounce the name properly. So <laughs> Hope springs eternal, right? Yeah. Yeah, there we go. <laughs> <laughs> so now it's time for the final countdown. The traveler only had time for one meal in Querétaro. Where should they go and what should they eat? Okay, so this is my kind of the hidden place that you will be the only tourist there if you go. There's a market in downtown called Mercado de la Cruz. So it's down the hill from the, the church I've been mentioning multiple times. During the day, it's just a market. But if you go there after seven o'clock at night, they open up a food court called Plaza Garibaldi's and makes the most amazing tacos are there. I mean, it's just this, all these different senses you're going to have because you're going to go in there and be cooking the meat in front of you. So what I like is when I go there, I get I always get the same thing. Two tacos with chorizo, which is, you know, just straight up chorizo. I get two tacos de barbacoa. And don't kind of let the false cognate get you. Barbacoa is not barbecue. It's steamed lamb. So you put salt and lemon on it in your taco. It's delicious. And then the final ones is I get a few tacos al pastor, which kind of look like, if anybody's familiar with shawarma, kind of ordinary kebabs, kind of on, a, you know, this whole big piece of meat on a skewer. And then they kind of trim it real thin and they throw in the tacos. They throw pineapple on it and guacamole. And it's really, really good. For dessert, you want to go just to another food stall. There are two dessert stalls in there. And you want to get a flan called Hirikaya. It's kind of this caramelized flan. I don't know exactly how they do it, but it's also really, really good. That sounds amazing. <laughs> I already had lunch, but I'm ready to eat some more right after hearing a lot <laughs> about that. But Okay, so you've been in Querétaro for a number of years now. What's one of your most memorable stories? I guess some of my most memorable stories is when I had just arrived here. So my background is my mother's Filipina. My dad's from Boston, um, blonde, blue-eyed. But apparently I look Mexican. So when I would first come here all the time, I would walk into this one restaurant in downtown to get a coffee every morning. And I went there for about two months and I was learning Spanish at the time, so I knew two or three words. And so I'd order my coffee and leave. It wasn't about two and a half months into it that they started recognizing me. And so they started to strike up a conversation. It was only then that they realized that I was a foreigner and I didn't actually speak any Spanish. Uh, so that was kind of my <laughs> most interesting story here. I faked being Mexican for the first two months I was here with them. I mean, I think that says a lot about you, the fact that you kind of blended in from day one and you weren't automatically perceived as a tourist because there's a lot of people that look Hispanic, look Mexican or whatever in the United States. If they visited certain parts of the world in the Latin countries, they would be identified day one as as a tourist from america so i mean that says a lot about you that's awesome it might be but remember i'm american but i didn't even grow up in the united states so i'm actually kind of probably a pretty bad american well or good depends on like i guess your, your viewpoint right yeah exactly so one of the things uh you know we like to do when we when we travel around is uh, maybe hit up the bar and kind of hang out with the locals a little bit where's the best place for happy hour in Querétaro? 
The place place I would recommend is a bar called Harry's Bar. Not Mexican. It's actually run by an American. But it is, you know, all the staff is Mexican while you're there. It's got food from New Orleans, but it also makes some of the best drinks in town. It is right on Plaza Fundadores, I believe is the plaza. And you can just check it, you know, check it out. Live music, jazz, and you can also do a lot of great people watching there. Oh, that sounds so much fun. Now, one of the things I always do whenever I travel is uh, check out the local pizza. What's the best place for pepperoni pizza in Caratoro? I'm going to say there's a restaurant called Il Diablo, and it makes amazing thin crust pizza. It's just a little out of downtown. You can walk to it. So you kind of get out of the historic downtown for about two blocks, and it's on a street called Universidad. So you kind of go there, look up Il Diablo. They have a few branches. It's not a chain. It's a local chain. There's about three of them. But the closest one to downtown is there, and it'll cost you like nine bucks, and it's this thin crust pepperoni pizza that you'll have there. Otherwise, I'll say Little Caesars, but that's just for my wife. <laughs> yeah, pretty sure I can get Little Caesars here in Nashville, but <laughs> so I, I think I'll, I'll stick with El Diablo. Yeah. Obviously, you traveled all over the world growing up and, and as your adult life. What's your best travel tip? My best travel tip, let's see. Oh, plan ahead by a long shot is the best travel tip. And one of the things that that allows me to do is I buy, since I work from home, I have flexibility in when I can travel. I sign up for a service called Scott's Cheap Flights. And pretty much what that does is you put in where you're from and it gives you all these cheap flights going all over the world from your city. These great deals, like 70% off deals. So we jump on those. And then the next level up is once you bought the ticket, try to put in the word business class upgrade for whatever the airline you got. And they have these secret pages where you can bid on upgrades, you know, like a hundred bucks or 200 bucks on top of your ticket price for these upgrades. So we've used that. I, we have flown to Italy for a business class round trip directly from Mexico City for $600 per person. And we went to Tokyo for $750 per person business class round trip. So that's kind of my travel tip is buy the tickets, then see if you can do that business class upgrade. Oh, that's fantastic. Yeah, I mean, I, I normally I travel a lot on uh, airline miles and hotel points. And so I, sometimes I'm, I'm lost on some of the cash options, right? I mean, that's fantastic. I, I do subscribe to a lot of those services where, where they give you all the great deals that are coming out of your city. And sometimes you, wow, you look at them, you go, wow, that is just, it's such a huge, a huge savings on what a normal price is. And it's, a, it's hesitant to, uh, to book 50 different trips, for, you know, and you're like, oh, what's this work thing I got to do, you know? You don't regret it, right? I mean, if you go on these trips, you're like, yeah. The stressful time is that moment when you buy the ticket. It's not the time when you're leaving for the flight and enjoying the trip. So you look at it that way, right? My, the stressful time for me is trying to figure out, okay, when am I going to get some work done? Because if I travel like three weeks out of the month, there's a little bit of time to get work done. Yeah, I, I used to be like you. I'm like, I'm going to get some work done when I travel. Yeah, that never worked. <laughs> I mean, when there are all these cool things to see around you, you're like, yeah, check my email on a good day. But getting work done that's never part of the plan so look we try to maybe cram the work beforehand or after and luckily we have a good team that kind of runs a lot of our businesses so i don't have to be involved in the day-to-day so we have a little bit more flexibility than we used to well that's fantastic well speaking of that let's talk a little bit about who you are what you do and then what's the best way for people to reach you in case they have questions about your business or about Ketataro. sure so what do I do? I bootstrap online businesses. That's kind of what I do for a living. My background is computer engineer, but my wife and I um, operate a website called LiveLingua.com, L-I-V-E-L-I-N-G-U-A.com. We're one of the top five online language schools in the world. We're the only one who wasn't started with a big million dollar investment by 
venture capitalists, right? So we were bootstrapped. The old internet startup from a garage, that was pretty much us, but it wasn't a garage. It was our house. So that's our primary business. I also run a website called podcasthawk.com, which is a software service that does automated podcast booking. It kind of does outreach to podcasters to see if you want, you know, if they're looking for guests and helps you get on podcasts if you have a good story. Right. And uh, using that technology is actually how we uh, came to, to meet. That's exactly it. That's right. I use that technology to find you, Lee. That's awesome. That's awesome. Okay. So if somebody had questions about your businesses or about Caritaro, where should they reach you on social media? I'm not super active on most social media platforms. The exception is Facebook. I kind of date myself whenever I say that, I think. But you can find me on Facebook. Look up Ray Blakeney on Facebook and look for a picture of somebody who's sword fighting, which is one of my hobbies. And that will be me. Please add me. Let me know where you heard me. And if you have any questions about Querétaro, you can ask. Um, I use it more for personal, less for business stuff. So don't worry about it. You won't be going in there and seeing a whole bunch of business commercials. That's what, <laughs> not what I use my Facebook for. Nice. Well, I really appreciate you sharing all these tips. It's been a pleasure talking with you. And we look forward to seeing you when we travel there. Likewise, Lee. Come on down. What an awesome conversation with Ray. He has such an amazing story. You can find all the links we talked about today at wetravelthere.com forward slash Querétaro. We want to say thank you to Bluffworks for being an affiliate partner in today's episode. Bluffworks offers many styles to fit your needs, so that way you can stay recall-free while traveling. Go to wetravelthere.com forward slash Bluffworks and use the promo code Lee to save 10% off your order. Join us next time as we head to Ottawa, Canada to speak with my new friend Megan Renault of ottawariverlifestyle.com. Megan and I talk about eating taffy on the snow at the Winterlude Festival, taking a, a canal cruise, and eating beaver tails. Do you to join us when we travel there? If you've enjoyed this podcast episode, please share it with your friends and tell them what you like most. Make sure you subscribe, that way you don't miss any of our upcoming destinations.